Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie. How are you this morning? Look, oh, I was quite tired when I woke up, but yes. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, it's yeah, having a bit of a week of this. This is this is. Um... Look, I'm going to stop saying it because we're probably going to continue a while. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the new norm. Yes, yes. Your body will adjust, but that's not a good thing. It will be mad at me, but it will adjust. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, I'm good. And it was actually awesome because I, yesterday I spoke to my sister cousin because we were like, we used to be very close, but you know, just life happens, you don't talk so much. And yeah, we just talked for like an hour yesterday and it was really good. And there was just lots I learned about her that I was like, oh, I didn't even know this. And then I, um, oh, you know, something else that was great. So I put up a post because I was like, uni stresses me out. So I was like, look, I'm just going to put it out there for the world. I must know people who have strategies that are helpful. So I was like, hey, da 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 da. And one thing I said on the post was like, look, I don't want to hear anyone being like, oh, but you can get through it. Because I'm like, yeah, but that, that's not what I'm asking. Like, that's not encouraged. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. practical. Give me nice and practical things that I can do. Don't just tell me to get. And of course, one of my friends who, if it's like a serious post, will never comment. But he was, he was like, you can get through. And it just made me laugh and laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, out of all the people, you're the one person I accept that from. <laughs> but yes, but I am good this morning. Just sleepy. How are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling great. Yes, good. Absolutely. Yes, I'm just sort of sitting here thinking whether, uh, yeah, no, nah, we couldn't, whether we could get away with um, making a post like that on your page, but nah. Oh, okay, yes, good. <laughs> I don't know. I think, it, I think if Liam and I teamed up on you, we probably could get yeah, away yeah, with yeah. it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Many would be like, yeah, I know where these guys are coming from. Yeah, I'll from. accept this, yeah. <laughs> are you missing, are you missing uh, driving in through the sunrise? Yes. Yeah, it'll come it's back. so sad. What? When? It, it will, soon. Ah. I don't know. Daylight saving. Oh. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Positively different news. Let's have it. Okay, so I actually thought this was a really cool story. So for one woman in India this year, she was meant to be going back to the Netherlands to study her doctoral degree, I want to call it. And basically she is an interdisciplinary designer. Um, so she does a whole bunch of different design avenues. Anyway, she was stuck in India. Wasn't like her favorite place to be because she was like, well, I was planning to be somewhere else. Um, and for her, that meant being able to, unable to attend this thing that she was meant to go back to. Um, so she was stranded in her hometown in Western India, grappling with the feeling of helplessness, as many people did and have probably still feeling in a lot of parts of the world. Um, unsure what to do with her talents and the resources available. But in the midst of COVID... Um, numbers were escalating quite quickly. Like we know there's a lot of countries that are still like, they just don't have the resources. That's right. Um, India is definitely a place that you, you have money, but you also have a lot of poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so she's kind of seeing this happening. She's seeing a bunch of these makeshift hospitals kind of just hastily thrown together. Like, okay, people need to isolate. They've got to go there. Where are they going to go? Um, not having beds for things. And so this idea starts to form and she's like, mm, maybe, mm, maybe I could do something with this. And so in a week um, from the concept formation to the prototype creation, um, she designed organic, recyclable and affordable um, hospital beds made out of cardboard. Okay. Yeah. So basically they're, you know, you can, they're flat pack, you can flatten them, then set them up in minutes. Um, I don't know how, but apparently they're also water resistant, which means you can disinfect them. Um, very light. They require no tools, fasteners or glue to assemble. They're six 
six and a half feet long and then three feet wide, three feet tall. Which is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Because it'd yep. be nothing, nothing worse than being like a tall person and like <laughs> having your feet hanging off this cardboard bed. Um, yeah, they were around $13 each, which is less than half the cost of the basic metal ones. Um, but for the company, so basically how she was able to do this is that her family owns a paper manufacturing industrial business. Right. And so she was like, sweet, we can do this. Um, but they, yeah, they wanted to contribute. So they have sold, I think, about 10000 Yep. But they've also just donated 1200 Nice. Yeah, because they're just like, look, our main concern right now is like, what do we do for our country and do for these people? Um, and yeah, so at, they've... The ones that they've donated, uh, sorry, the ten thousand they've sold is also at cost price. So they haven't been doing this for a whole bunch of profit. They could, right? But they've just been like, like look, we need to do we our see bit. A need, yeah. And I just, I think I really appreciate that too because I think it. Well, I personally know people who would look at a place like India, and their whole perception is either the rich who don't care or the poor, poor, poor people who you know they beg and they're not real. But you know they just there's no middle class. Yeah, and the perception can just be a bit not great, and mm-hmm. I. I think any story where you have someone who's like, man, I don't know what to do, but I want to do something. And this is very practical. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It is. And like, (laughs) I find my experience is Indians are immensely resourceful. Like they recycle like people I've never met. When Uh when I was there at least, you know, the things Mm -hmm. I saw, I'm like, that definitely was not the job of this particular product originally, but you're making it work. Like You find this in developing countries. It's one of the cool things about developing oh, countries. So Anything good. that you throw out, they grab it and then they turn it into something. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just uh incredible. You know, working up in uh the highlands of Guadalcanal and the Solomon Islands, you know, where there's the only artificial things that I could see in the village were Machetes, and of course, yeah. Solomon Islanders are all sort of born. They come out of the womb carrying a machete. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Can you say that? <laughs> well, it's kind of how they are, you know. So these two-year-old kids getting around swinging a machete, this big old blade, and mm-hmm. they can't even walk yet. Well, they can barely walk, and it's like, yep, okay, whatever. But you know, and, and of course, we're working there, and anything artificial that we had that was surplus to requirements that mm. was just sort of rubbish was highly valued mm-hmm. and repurposed to all kinds of different unique things that we would never even think of i know and like the whole recycling of just oh what were things i remember when were, yeah when i was somewhere oh what even was it it was something that i've never seen like it's never occurred to people i know to try fix it and i was like oh well it's very broken so we just don't fix it or even the fact that like your shoes are broken how many people will now go to a shoe repairer you don't because it's cheaper to just buy a new pair. But they'll be like, no, 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 we can fix it. That's right, absolutely. <laughs> May not be pretty, but we can get it done. <laughs> and I like how like in, in, in uh, Ethiopia, 44-gallon mm-hmm. drum factories. Uh-huh. So they take old 44-gallon drums and turn them into whatever you want them to be. Yeah. You have wheelbarrows, you have stoves, <laughs> you have uh, – I can't even remember all the products that were just coming out of this factory. They were just cutting up 44-gallon drums and beating on them with hammers and then welding them back together again. And they make anything – Gets the job done. Anything out of a 44-gallon drum mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and pieces of wire. You know what? I feel like these are countries where even though life can be very difficult if you are in a place of like poverty – you are also immensely practical. So if something yes. like if we lost all our resources right now, a lot of us would be like, oh, "We don't know what to do. We don't know how to survive." Whereas a lot of them, they're just like, "We know how. To, we know how to survive." Nothing would change if there was a global financial uh-huh. crash. Australia would starve. The West would starve, <laughs> and the developing world would be like, "Did something happen? We didn't actually notice it." 
Yeah. You know, that's how it would be. We would be in trouble. So we have a lot to learn from developing countries and we would do well to, uh, yeah, really look at what they do as far as recycling goes. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so I did promise that we would talk about gaming technology. You did, and it was going to be positive. And it's going to be positive. We must know. Uh huh. <laughs> but before we go there, I'm going to talk about lockout laws here in Newcastle. So this is a bit of an issue right around Australia. We've had some lockout laws in Newcastle, and the lockout laws are all about uh, closing pubs and you know places that serve alcohol at a certain time to reduce violence in the community, particularly. You know, it reduces all kinds of violence, but I think uh, domestic violence is something that needs to be taken into account here uh, in particular because there are more vulnerable people that are involved. It's not just two guys just sort of, mm. you know, let's take it outside kind of thing. Um, but we do we do need to see a reduction in violence. We have seen a dramatic induc- reduction in violence as a result of the lockout laws. You know, nothing good happens after midnight when people are fueled up on alcohol. Um, <laughs> True. And so... October 1, our lockout laws here in Newcastle are going to be dumped. So this is a result of a committee that's been led by Mark Latham. And I really agree with Mark on some of the things he says about religious liberty and so forth. And I really strongly disagree with him on this. I think he's completely missed the point. Uh, they've put together a committee to look at it. The committee has had no representation from, you know, the police or the medicos or, you know, the people that are opposing it. So who? What's the basis then of where they're coming from? In well, they want they want to increase business. They're like everybody struggling with COVID. We need to be making some money. We need to get the economy back up and running. And so this will be good for the economy. Yeah, but what cost? Like, this is the thing, eh? This mm. is the thing because if you're spending more on on uh, medical bills and exactly. people in hospital, then you're actually going backwards rather than forwards. Yes. So we want productive economic yes. growth. <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course. So because they've had a lot of pressure from the community because the community doesn't want it. Oh. So they've had a lot of pressure from the community. The community's like, why don't you, why don't you have any at least medical professionals? Mm-hmm. You know, someone that can give a medical professional opinion on this, somebody who has worked in an emergency department, somebody who knows how alcohol works on the body, someone who knows how sleep deprivation works on the body, somebody who knows how those two things combine together mm. to create violence. Why don't you have anybody like that on the committee? Why don't you just got business people on it? Yes. And of course they're going to vote one way. What do you expect? (laughs) Yeah. So they have finally admitted um, Dr. Anthony Cook onto the committee. So we now have uh, one medical professional who's a representative on the committee. Uh, Of course they've done that after they've voted to reopen on the 1st of October. So what's the point? Is it just a token having him on the team? Well, like what? Okay, so the reopening is described as a test, which is a nice way of saying we're going to do this, <laughs> but we're going to soften the blow by calling uh-huh. it a test. Uh-huh. Do they have a time frame for like we'll see what numbers increase? I think it's like six months or something or other. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, a trial, not a test, a trial. Uh-huh, uh-huh. We all know how trials work. They do a trial when they're going to do something. Yeah. You know. Anyway, whatever. Uh, I'm disappointed, very, very disappointed. This is the wrong direction. We were going a good direction in Australia when lockout laws came in. Mm. We needed to continue down that path until we got rid of alcohol altogether. It amazed me, actually, when the lockout laws came in. I knew quite a few people who were a bit unhappy. And I had a friend, maybe she was from Canada. Anyway, wherever she was from, I just remember she was so shocked by people's upset. She's like, yeah, like, if, yeah, yeah, she was from Canada where it was real cold. Because she was like, it will be a very cold night. But that time comes, they will kick you out. They're like, we don't care. 
You know yeah, the rules. Right. You go home. Absolutely. And she, she was just shocked that she, she was like, you guys are so soft. I mean, I, I wasn't there. Like, I don't <laughs> go. But she was just like, this is reasonable. Like, why are you guys fussing about it? <laughs> she had no compassion. She was just like, suck it up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, and I really agree with this because, I mean, people are trading in death. Yeah. That's a strong statement, I That's know. That's a big straight statement. But alcohol is a poison. Mm. And it kills people. And it kills everybody who drinks it. It just kills some people faster than others. And I think, as you said... Like, but it is a toxic substance. We need to recognize yeah. that alcohol is a toxic substance. Mm-hmm. It is toxic to the body. Um, it, it, it's a major carcinogen. Uh, it's a major cause of heart disease. And if people are going to be peddling in death, then I just don't have a whole lot of sympathy. Sorry. Mm-hmm. But I think because also with the lock law, it's wanting to diminish the violence that comes That's with right. it too, right? Absolutely. That's... Like I know, I, I agree. And a with lot you. of this violence mm. gets taken home. Yeah, yeah, fully. Okay, so you, and, and when somebody is stoked up on alcohol and it's after midnight mm. and you've got sleep deprivation and alcohol combined, not a good. You, that's a lethal cocktail, cocktail mm. to take home. Yeah, and as you said, that that is going to cause costs in other areas, particularly in the medical field. Of there's injury, yes. there's damage, there's yes. all those other problems. The emotional the game, impact yeah. it's going to have, the PTSD that's going to come about as a result of it. Mm. Um, you know, we talk about, oh, we need to do more about, you know, domestic violence. Yeah, okay. We know how to solve this because we saw it a couple of months ago in South Africa, which when they went into COVID lockdown, they closed their bottle shops as well as their pubs and domestic violence almost vanished. That is crazy, isn't it? Whew. Yeah. Then when they opened the pubs and the bottle shops again, of course, domestic went violence up. went through the roof. Mm. So this is not a very difficult uh, equation to try and figure out. And I don't understand why we can't figure it out in this country. Anyway, that's my little bit of a rant for today. I did promise to talk about gaming. Yes. Yes. You sure did. Okay, new gaming console, which uh-huh. you put on your heads like a helmet. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and apparently you do your gaming in 3D. I know nothing about gaming. Okay. I have like zero interest in gaming. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> let, let me ask you this, this question. Let's say that you were uh, attracted to uh, uh, some guy. No, some guy was attracted to you and <laughs> you found a, out they were a gamer. This is a main is question. That a, is, is that a turn on or a turn off? I'm not interested in the gaming life. You're not interested in in being... You know, I have found this universal amongst single young ladies. The biggest turn-off is gamers. Yeah. No. It's just... just, Like, that's... There's that. And then movies is, like, a step up, but still, like, mm. Like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, new technology in the gaming industry. You get these uh, headsets. You do holograms. So, you can see everything in 3D. It blocks out the room. You're just immersed in the game, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Been used for the first time in surgery. Oh. Called a mixed reality technique. Uh, this one has been used uh, in particular. The, the uh, most um, interesting one was a bone defect that had been caused by a traumatic injury. Mm-hmm. Had to do an operation, tricky operation. What they did was did a full scan of you know the person's injury. Yeah. And that whole area, the scan, you know, in the scan it scans where your veins are, where your arteries are, where the muscles and the ligaments and the bone, where all the pieces are. Right. Created a hologram on it. That is fully interactive. You can, as a surgeon, you can interact with it without even touching the patient. Wow. You can practice your surgery. You can see where the problems might be. Um, then what they do is they put the hologram over the top of the injury so that you can actually see underneath the layers of 
skin or muscle or whatever you're looking at, it's like, okay, don't cut too deep here because you're going to cut that because you can actually see what's there. That is very cool. This is very cool wow. technology. I mean, this is like this is next level stuff. It's being uh, pioneered in Queensland. A fellow by the name of Dr. Ashish Gutpa uh, has done 12 operations using this technique so far. And you can do so. You can do a, a completely non-invasive practice run, uh-huh, or uh-huh. as many practice runs as you want to get it right. To get it right, and then you go in, and then when you go in, you can see stuff that you are not supposed to be able to see. Oh, amazing! Yeah. Wow. Okay, so it, it, what what it does is it reduces the possibility of so many mistakes that yes. can be made. You know, it's not hard to make a you know, surgeon. They talk about a surgeon's hands have to be so steady because you're going to make these tiny little cuts because you don't know what you're going to cut. Well, now you do know what you're going to cut because you can see. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You see the whole thing. So, um, yeah, and he's just wearing a standard gaming console headset that you would use. But you know what? But this is the thing like with gaming, right? Even though I said I'm not a big gaming person, I'm not opposed to the technology. Like, I think no, to be able to design cool. the things, like, well done you. Your brain is doing things that mine, my brain just doesn't. Like, uh-huh. I just don't understand. <laughs> that's right. You know, put all the technological stuff together. But I love this. Like, that's so cool. It is. And it I love is. that someone went, hmm, you know what's a good idea? Like, who come up, came out with that? Like, a surgeon who games? Like, how did they? <laughs> Probably. Probably. <laughs> true, true. Yes. Uh, or, or maybe a manufacturer who's like, yeah, here's another angle. We could make some money over this side. Um, and maybe even do better than with gaming. Who knows? You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Well, joining us on the phone this morning is uh, Pastor Josh Gonzalez from Sydney. Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, Josh, uh, um, we're, we're super keen, super glad to have you as part of the show today because, um, yeah, you've got a very interesting testimony and we wanted to hear a little bit of, part, bit of your story. Where does your story begin? Whereabouts were you born and, you know, did you grow up in a Christian home? Yeah, so I was born in Sydney. I was born in a suburb called Hillsdale. Oh, that's where I grew up. Um, and my parents were Baptist, so I grew up in a, in a Baptist home. Uh, my dad was kind of a new evangelical convert um, from Catholicism and so he was you know kind of uh, yeah really into his uh, his church life uh, so I, I grew up in that environment and so with a name like Gonzalez I'm sort of wondering whether uh, your parents come from a uh, different part of the world yeah my dad's from Spain uh, my mom's from Peru in South America and so I grew up um, you know it's interesting that I was born here but I, I grew up with uh, English as my second language because uh, at home, all, all that we spoke was Spanish growing up. Um, but yeah, uh, Spanish and South American background. And of course, both of those are very strong Roman Catholic uh, countries, so a little, little bit unusual to grow up in a, in a Baptist home, but um, definitely a blessing to have a home that focuses on the Word of God. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I said, my dad was a, a, new, a new convert. Um, he, um, he grew up uh, Catholic, um, had a really bad experience. He, he was raised in a like a monastery type uh, environment in Spain in a boarding school, and yeah, he he witnessed and suffered uh, quite a bit of stuff through there. And so when he came here, he met some uh, some evangelical Christians and um, really got to know the Word of God for the first time. And and yeah, so he he was um, very strong Catholic background originally, but uh, but a new convert and around the time I was born. Now. Um you grew up in this home. What does what does your journey look like? Um, obviously, devout Christian parents. Do you stay with God as you uh, you know become a young man? 
And, where, and what path do you, do you sort of, does your life go down? Yeah. Um, so what happened is I was born in, a, in an area where there was a lot of immigrants um, and uh, kind of more on the, uh, I guess, the, the lower economic side of, of, um, of, of things. And, you know, there was a, just the environment around me was uh, a big influence in my life as well growing up. So I had a good home, good Christian parents. But at the same time, I lived in an environment where there was a lot of stuff going on. Uh, there were gangs in the local area. Some of the older boys that I, I really started to um, look up to. And I started to kind of get influenced by that a lot. And so as I was growing up, you know, and I was growing up in the early 90s, uh, rap music was very big as well at the time, especially gangster rap music. And so yeah, I got influenced by all of that stuff quite a bit. So as I grew up, even though I was a... From a Christian home, I lean towards a, a different kind of light, um, if you know what I mean. Sure. Now, you eventually uh, became a part of a, uh, a rap music group and also a gang. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, after high school, I ended up uh, getting together with some, some friends, uh, like-minded, and uh, we started to get into rap music. We realized that we were pretty good at it, um, and we started to, you know, we formed a group. We started to perform around Sydney around Western Sydney, and we've got quite a bit of a following. Um, and so a big group kind of started to to hang out with us. And within that group, there were certain people that were uh, from a real uh, you know, gang background, I guess, from Central America and, and other countries that right now are going through really bad problems with gangs. And they kind of brought that into the group. And before we know it, you know, we, we were a gang. Uh, and then, yeah, things changed a lot from that moment. How far did uh, how far were you able to go with uh, with the rap music scene? Um, you say you were performing, you know, all over Sydney with mm. that. Um, mm. How far were you able to actually go with the rap, rap music? Well, it's interesting you say that. I um I was doing the kind of rap music I was doing was uh, very much influenced by that like that gangster kind of mentality and lifestyle that I was trying to live, uh, and so I was kind of limited by that a little bit. Um, it wasn't until later on that my rap music started to really, like my kind of career started to kick off more. Um, but before that happened, I, I had a situation where I actually met you. Um, uh, and having met you and having done some Bible studies with you, um, I actually ended up leaving the game and wanting to get my life in order. Um, but uh, that actually brought a whole new level of problems to me as well because the, the gang I was involved in, you can't kind of just leave that that easily. And so I started to, um, you know, get threats and stuff from my old friends. And I was trying there to live my life, you know, as, as, as best as I could. Um, but then around that time, a close family member uh, was murdered and that really set me back, um, actually catapulted me back into my old life. Um, and I started... You know, I also had problems, big problems with alcohol and drugs, and that kind of took over my life at that time, and that got me back into my music. Um, and it was during that time of my life where my music started to really kick off to the point where I was getting offered a um, a record deal, and uh, there was a big plan for me to go throughout Latin America and do a big tour of different different countries and things like that. So, yeah. Okay, so you've got a bit of a conflict happening in your life. You've, uh, you've grown up in a Christian home. Um, you've got devout parents who, who, who really love the Lord. Mm-hmm. You've got this whole lifestyle that has dragged you down a completely different path and further away from God. What's going on in your mind during this period? Is there a battle, a conflict that is taking place? 
there, there was always a battle, you know. Um, I think the fact that I was raised in a Christian home really helped me um, to the point where if it wasn't for that, I'd probably be in jail today. Um, it really gave me a limit on things. You know, some of my friends, while I was involved in these things, were really into some things that I just, I could never go all the way like some of them did. Um, so there was always that battle going on where, you know, that's the kind of lifestyle where you've got to prove yourself in a sense, but at the same time, there's a part of me that just doesn't want to go that far uh, because of certain things, you know, innocent people and, you know, stealing and all that kind of stuff that just never sat well with me. Um, but it wasn't until I, I had met you really where it started to get really, really difficult for me because um, I actually met you through a, a friend of mine who was a, a, a member of the gang that I was in. And he had actually found a a pamphlet to a, a program that you were running. He had found it on the street, and um, something inside of him was telling him that he 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 needed to go to that thing. Um, but there was some symbols on it, you know. The, I think it was called Ancient Mystery Religions, the program you were running. And during that time of my life as well, I was a full blown conspiracy theorist, and I was the guy that was known among my friends to to know all about, you know, what's really going on in the world, etc. And so my friend, when he wanted to go to that thing, he wanted to go with me. And so he kind of forced me to go with him because I wasn't really interested in that um, at the time because I was really confused with all that stuff I was into as well. Um, but he ends up, you know, convincing me to go with him. I end up meeting you and then we end up doing Bible studies. And when we were doing those Bible studies, that's when the real kind of uh, conflict started to come into my mind and my heart where I was like, man, I, I, you know, I'm a Christian, you know, I, I believe in God and, and I can't be living this lifestyle. I can't do these things. I can't be involved in these things anymore. And so that was probably the most difficult part. But then as well, as I mentioned, I, I had a, that all kind of took me to a place where I wanted to change my life and I wanted to be better. But then my cousin um, getting murdered actually really messed me up as well because I was a very kind of new Christian in that sense. I was a baby. I wasn't strong enough in my faith to handle what had happened and then I'm then you know kind of catapulted into back into my old ways and and hanging out with some of my old friends not the guys from the gang but my old friends who were probably even into more stuff than the guys from the gangs were and yeah that was just crazy too because that was a big battle but that was different though because I kind of I, I became addicted in that time um you know to drugs and alcohol and I remember nights where I would cry you know, just, you know, high and drunk and I would cry and I would say, God, you know, I, I can't stop. I, I want to stop. I want to get better. I want to change. But I, I just felt that I couldn't. Um, and then that all took me to another place where my old friends from the gang that had threatened me caught up with me one night and uh, they almost killed me. Um, it was a whole crazy thing that happened um, out in Western Sydney. Um, and I was in a high-speed chase and they, they tried to, you know, at that time as well, they were armed and from what had happened, it looked like they were trying to shoot at me and yeah, it just, it got really crazy. And so they tried to kill me one night and then my other friends find out that they wanted to, you know, they almost did that to me. And so my friends then wanted to retaliate and get back at them. And then that put me in another really bad place as well, you know, with my conscience where I have my, my friends wanting to fight my old friends and, this stuff was really serious to the point where some of my my friends were even planning on going and murdering people. Like it, it got that that serious, 
And so then all of a sudden this war is going to break out, you know, out here in Western Sydney or in parts of Sydney between my friends and my old friends. And, and, uh, and that was really hard for me as well because I, I had a friend that would call me every night for about a week telling me that there was 10 guys, you know, they had guns, they were ready. Like, let's go and sort these guys out. And it was really difficult because some of my friends had kids and then uh, that, that was just crazy, a crazy time as well. And while that was all happening, I then even had uh, suicidal thoughts because, you know, I, I had little whispers in my ear telling me that um, the way from all my problems to end uh, was for me not to be around anymore. And as well, just to, to, to make you understand, this wasn't the only issue I had going in my life at that time. The addictions and the, the lifestyle I was living, I was recently married as well with a, a little baby girl and things had gotten so bad that uh, my wife was basically going to leave me. Um, my job, I had a really good job at the time. I was on my last warning at work because my lifestyle was affecting my work. My relationship with my family was broken. Um, I wasn't going to church anymore. My relationship with God, like every good thing that I had in my life during that time was also falling apart. And then to top it off, I almost get killed. Then my friends want to kill the guys that try to kill me. And so at that point, that's when, yeah, I guess the devil, um, convince me that uh, if I wasn't around, all of my problems uh, would go away as well. And, and, and I guess then, it's worth um, mentioning as well um, that central to this story in many ways is the fact that throughout this time period, you had a girlfriend and then a wife and mm-hmm. then even a child, and, but you're, yeah. you're, you had a wife and a girlfriend that was praying for you because she was also a Christian or is also a Christian. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, While this was all happening, um, I was one day by myself in my house and I was straight for the first time in weeks because I literally had no money to buy anything to, you know, try to dull my, my, my mind. And because my wife um, was a Christian, um, I'm sitting in my room one day and on she had her desk in our bedroom. And on that desk was a Bible. And I remember I'm, I'm sitting there, I've got all these things happening. I'm getting suicidal thoughts. I'm just feeling just really down. I'm at the lowest point in my life. And I look over to, to my wife's desk and the Bible that she had on her desk it's just this weird thing. I can't explain it. It's almost like there was a light coming out of it or it was just like it's, it was trying to grab my attention. And I remember at that point, I remembered about God. I remembered the Bible studies we had done. I remembered all these things. And then I was kind of wanting to go and get that Bible. But at the same time, I had this strong feeling come over me of like, wait, no, like I've, I've done too much, you know, to come back to God. I, I've really messed up now. I, I knew things and I, I try to do things my own way and I try to live life my own way and this is where it's gotten me and and it's like the devil was trying to convince me that God would never take me back because of how far I had gone, right? Mm. And so as as I'm fighting with all these 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 thoughts, the, the Bible it just keeps getting like brighter and keeps getting brighter and it won't leave me alone. And I end up somehow on my knees praying and I think this was the first time I ever did a real sincere prayer of repentance. You know, all I remember saying as I was on the floor that day of my room was, God, look at what I've done. Look at what I've done. It's like the, 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 the realization of everything that's going wrong in my life was my fault was just so, so clear to me. And I'm like, God, look at what I've done. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know what to do. All these things are happening. I'm getting suicidal thoughts. And I basically begged God to give me some kind of sign or indication that he was still there for me because I said to him, I said, I feel like I've gone too far for you to even help me right now or, or anything. So I just begged him for a sign. I remember I opened my eyes up from the prayer. And now I noticed that next to my wife's Bible, she had a little 
Bible study book from her church. Uh, it's called a Sabbath School Quarterly. And I remember that all of a sudden, this little book was like trying to get my attention. And I felt like God was telling me, look in that book, your sign is in there. And I just remember like, it was felt like kind of like a robot just getting up and walking towards this book. And I remember I picked it up and I just opened it, randomly opened it to a page. I wasn't trying to search for a sign or look for a sign. I just randomly opened it. And the page that I opened it to caused me to just fall on the ground and start crying like a little baby because that those books go through a lesson every week. And I opened it just on the start of the lesson. And the lesson for that week that I opened it to was the story of the prodigal son. And right there on that page was a picture of the father hugging the son with tears in his eyes. You know, And in that story, the son had left God. He had left home. He wanted to come back. He didn't know how his father was going to react. And when he does come back, he sees that he takes him back in and he cries. And uh, Josh seems to be cutting in and out there a little bit, not quite sure what is uh, going on. We've lost you there for a moment. Josh, are we still there? I think your phone has cut out. Somebody's phone has cut out. It's not mine. Hello, Josh. Can you hear us? It seems like we've lost Josh. He's got an amazing story to share. And uh, yeah, no, that's amazing to listen to. I was like, whoa! Like, I don't know. We, we might have to. We might have to get this guy back on for uh, for the rest. Okay, so he's, here he comes back again. Let's see if we can. Uh, let's see if we can get the rest of this back. Okay, Josh, you there? Yes. Yeah, sorry. How far off did I get cut? <laughs> um, you were talking about the prodigal son, <laughs> and you were talking about how yeah, the. How, how, the, how the prodigal son had uh, – that story affected your life. And I guess the comment that I was going to make on that is that, yeah. you know, I can see how that story would affect your life from the perspective of um, how much God cared for you. But for you mm. yourself personally, you also had a father who was a devout Christian and praying for you as well. Yeah, that's that's very true. That's very true. And, you know, I – yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, both my parents were praying for me for a long time while I was very, very lost. I was completely lost for, for quite a while there. Um, and yeah, you know, God is good. You know, the prayers of my parents, I guess, is what also kept me protected during all this time. You know, I, I've put myself in so many situations um, where I, I could have really been hurt. I could have severely, you know, had big issues. I could have been in, ended up in jail, could have ended up dead, um, and nothing ever happened to me. And I'm really, really thankful to God. And I, I believe my parents' prayers had a lot to do with that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Josh, the time has gone very, very fast, and I'm wondering whether yeah. we might actually get you back sometime to hear the second part of this story and to hear about what God yeah. has um, what God has done for done in your life since then. Because you know, God's yeah. turned your life around. You're pastoring a church in Sydney. Um, yeah. And there's a whole story there as well. We'd oh, love to hear that story. Whole story yeah. Maybe maybe we'll get Absolutely. you back another time to uh, finish the story. Absolutely, I'd love to. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at one eight hundred Faith FM.